Hello and welcome to Corona Stories, the place where people can be open and honest about their feelings surrounding Covid, lockdown and related matters. I'm Christine Padgham. In this episode, I do a follow-up chat with a lady who I spoke to in January in episode 5. At that time, her mother-in-law was in a care home and they were finding it very difficult to get access to her. And it was very painful. The mother-in-law died in February. And so we met up again to have a chat about what that experience had been like. It's always a pleasure to speak to this lady, but her story was painful to hear. I'm sure that you will find the same, but that you'll also find it interesting. So we are having a catch up today, which is the 5th of May, is it? Yes, it is. After we had a chat our first episode um, when you and I talked about your experiences with your mother-in-law in the care home that was in January wasn't it I need to go and look mm. that back up had I spoken to you since Anne passed away we d- we have spoken on phone since then because you told me you were giving me the um, catch up so that was why we were having another conversation today just to catch up with you and find out what has happened since we last spoke to you because the last time your mother-in-law was in the care home and you were struggling to get in to see her and you were only allowed to see her wearing masks and having been tested and we were agreeing that that was very cruel for a lady of her age not to be able to see her family so faces and was it not just there was only two of you allowed in at a time or no it's just one we're allowed in they weren't even allowing window visits um, and then eventually allowed window visits. But by then she'd had the vaccine, and after the vaccine, she really did go downhill, whether that's coincidental or not, who will never ever know. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, what happened was um, they'd take a turn for the worse, and we were basically told, you know, like she's now bedridden, and because she's taken a turn for the worse, and we're looking at end of life care um you'll be able to come and see her and we were like okay so we went and had to get pcr tests etc well the, you know the lateral flow ones mm-hmm. um so we had to get them and then we'd sit and do that waiting in the car and then we'd be allowed in but by this point Anne was in a coma so we never actually got to say our goodbyes to, mm-hmm. to Anne. um we got to see her twice um, I think it was the Wednesday and the Thursday and the Friday as well, you get three times. And then on the Saturday morning, I got a phone call um, to get up to the nursing home quickly because it was, you know, Edward, our death was imminent. And we went up, we got in the car and we went straight up. I got to the front door and they were like, oh, you need to do a lateral, you need to do this lateral flow test. And we were like, all right, oh, that's good. She's obviously, she's still been hanging on, you know. So we sat, we did the lateral flow test. We're sitting there. Mm-hmm. So obviously got to wait 30 minutes. Ah. We're sitting, waiting 30 minutes. Oh. And then we, they were like, right, we'll take you down to our room. Took us down to our room. 
stopped us right outside her door and said, your mother passed away 15 minutes before you got here. Can you believe right. that? Unfortunately. So they made us do a lateral flow test to go and sit with my mother-in-law's dead body. Unfortunately, I do believe it. <laughs> and the reason that I've there was that silence there is just because I cannot find the words to. Mm-hmm. I, I just people I hear these things all the time and I just don't know what to say to people because I I'm speechless. It is. It's just weird. It's like beyond, to actually have us sitting there. And not even say to us, listen, your mother-in-law passed away, but if you want to see her, you know, you'll need to do the test and blah, 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 because you're in the nursing home. I mean, we were literally sitting at the front door after we'd done the test. So we were already in the nursing home and her room was down a corridor. We weren't going through any public areas or anything like that. It was literally about maybe 15 steps down a corridor and a room on her own where she, 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 where her body was. It's just, you know, it's just people have lost all down of the common sense. But that's that's like humanity and common sense. It is. It is. Do you think? Do you think that this is an unusual experience in these care homes, or or do you think your mother-in-law's care home was particularly? No, I think this is just people in care. I think there's, I think there's two things going on in care homes. One, they're absolutely, and especially initially, they were absolutely terrified for the residents' health uh-huh. because they care about the residents. And two, some of these care homes are managed by massive companies, and if they had massive amounts of death, they would be losing massive amounts of revenue. And so I think that's one of the reasons that care homes have been thinking that humanity has gone out the window and it has been all about keeping these poor souls alive and not allowing them to perhaps die of COVID when perhaps they would have died of flu or cold or something like that anyway. They've not been allowed to have been kept going for so long, you know, in a state of being a vegetable basically, because they're not allowed to see anyone. I wasn't even allowed to take Anne. Anne wasn't eating. And this was bes- like this was like maybe the week before. And I was like, can I bring in a fish supper? She'll eat a fish supper. At least she'll try and eat a fish supper. You can't bring in a fish supper because of COVID. <laughs> they didn't let me take in a fish supper because everything had to sit and wait for 24 hours before they seen it, like before they used it. So they wouldn't actually allow me to take in a fish supper. People that are on the death row get a final meal. That's really... That is so sad. <laughs> Just crazy. When when did she die? She died on the um, 14th of February. Okay. So I think I spoke to you in January. I should really have looked that up before yeah. I spoke to you. I've got no concept of time now. Um, yeah, so she didn't have a good last few months. No, it was terrible. A 
And it's abusive. But in my opinion, the way that the elderly were treated and the way that she was treated, you know, over this past year, it was actually abusive. It was abuse. It was, it was completely and utterly tearing people's human rights out of their clutches. It was disgusting. I can't disagree with you. Um, and so then what happened? So obviously then we had to um, get our syndrome and whatnot arranged. There was very few people allowed to be at the funeral. Um, this wasn't per se a massive issue for our family, given Anne's age. Um, she didn't have a huge amount of people in her family that could go to her funeral anyway. Um, so there was there was a few people. There was you know there was people there. The chairs all spread out, but I just we just put our chairs together anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the funeral directors were amazing. Um, one of the things they did say, obviously, was you know does your mother-in-law have COVID? And we were like, no. We went well, we can't. Yeah, this is the first meeting we had with them. They're like, well, we can't do X, Y, and Z until we get the death certificate because there's a lot of people are saying that their parents or their loved ones don't have COVID, but then when it's coming through, it's on the death certificate. So I know that I had heard this happening, and I knew that it was happening, but I didn't realise how widespread it was. And apparently it is a huge issue throughout Scotland. These, these um, funeral directors have obviously spoken to. There is, I think it's quite a... Uh, a kind of industry where everyone talks to one another mm-hmm. and they were all saying the same thing that um, it was causing huge especially initially it was causing huge upset because people weren't allowed to be buried in their favourite jumper or their favourite shoes or anything like that because they couldn't reopen the coffin because it was going down as COVID when it wasn't COVID um, mm-hmm. I was, you know, so they were telling me a few different stories about that happening and the impact that it had on other families um, You've had some calls about that sort of thing happening. That's a... It's very widespread. It's more widespread than, than I think any of us actually realise. The other thing they said, because I said, you know, oh, you're really busy, because we had to wait uh, about 10 days for the funeral. And they're like, no, it's not really, no, it's, no, it's not as busy as it normally would be. And it was just that they're having to leave in between the, the services. So people are having to wait, it seems like they're having to wait longer for funerals, but it's not really. It's just because they're not doing as many funerals because of the wait time. I don't know if you've ever been at a funeral at the crematorium. Mm-hmm. It's one out, one in, one mm-hmm. out, one in, and it's not really like that just now. I think there's a, there's a, a, okay. a bit of a, a longer wait in between services. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's really... Not being able to have a, a proper funeral, like I say, for us it wasn't a huge issue because we don't have a huge family, so it wasn't like there was lots of people who would have been there couldn't be there. But I think for a lot of people, particularly younger people, not being able to give your loved one a proper send-off is a real big, you know, is, a, is another big issue, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's awful. Yeah. I'm one of those this strange breed of people, although I think we're actually quite common as the thing is, now I just um, I say things that more freely than I would have before after the experience yeah. of the last year. But I think, especially when it's an elderly person who's led a full life and had a peaceful death, mm-hmm. a funeral can be a lovely thing to attend. And it's very important 
it's for a lot of people i believe i'm not unusual for a lot of people it's extremely important to have that event to see your loved one off and well, part of human funerals are like part of humanity yeah so it's another piece of humanity that's being stripped away do you know what i mean even if yeah. you look at the animal at the animal kingdom the animal, like elephants and, you know, cats, you know, like lions, whatever. Mm. If, if a, a loved member of the tribe or the pack passes away, they have their own funeral of sorts. I think even crows do. I'm sure the crows yeah, have a funeral. I know. We've been watching that. There's a thing on Netflix, like, about how smart animals are. And there's been a, there was an episode about that, about how they mourn um, yeah. a death. And to me, I think it's one of these things people always say, oh, I hate funerals. But to me, a funeral is a wonderful family event that is absolutely essential. It's an essential part of the grieving process. We, mm-hmm. The last two family funerals that we've had were wonderful celebrations mm-hmm. of our loved ones' lives. And I, it makes me quite emotional to think about having that opportunity denied you. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were quite lucky and it sailed around, you know, came into our house, he didn't wear a mask. Oh, that's good. Put one on if we wanted, but we were like, no, just come in, sit down, do you want a coffee? Mm-hmm. You know, and we kind of, we, we maintained social distancing for the sake of, you know, just being, doing the right thing. Um, but, you know, he was he was pretty good as well. Um, but it was kind of like, right, well, there's your, well, here's a celebrant that you couldn't really talk to lots of different people to find the right celebrant, you know, or the right, you know, it was all very mm-hmm. much, it was very perfunctory, um, which served the purpose for us because obviously we didn't have a huge amount of people coming through, but again, for, for other for other families, for the, I, I think it would, I think it really would have been very difficult. Because um, it, it was quite kind of, you know, cold, not cold, I mean, because the funeral directors and everyone were really good, but it was it was a very strange it was a very strange thing to be honest. Mm. Oh, and the other thing which was really weird at the funeral, so you know how they bring in the coffin, and then the coffin sits with the flowers on it or anything like that. The coffin's not allowed to sit like that anymore. So they just they bring in the coffin, and immediately the thing there's like a, a cover goes over the coffin. Why is that? I think again, it's some it's something to do with COVID, so that the like the coffin's got something over it. What? Like, so the, the co- honestly, like the coffins aren't allowed to sit without this cover over them. So we never even got a choice on what would, you know, or anything like that. We would have chosen. Because it was very much like this is what you're going to get. Bloody bloody blah. Because as soon as it goes in, the cover goes right over it. It's really weird. So now not how normally you're sitting and you're looking at the coffin. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've got this thing of funerals and I don't like it, but it's one of these things that my brain does. You're imagining that person's in the coffin. Mm-hmm. But you're looking at the coffin. But you weren't even looking at the coffin. The coffin was away to the side and it had a cover off it. That feels very sinister to me. It's weird, eh? It was just weird. Like it was all little things like that are to me strange. And I think the reason your your mind imagines that person's oh god, that person's in that coffin is because it's part of your brain connecting with the fact that that person's not going to be there anymore or something. Yeah. You know? 
So you didn't have that part of it, which was, I just found that a bit strange. It's like you're and then, being denied, you know, ownership of your loved one's remains. Aye, aye. Well, I think you are, because I think that's what this whole, you know, that as, as soon as they're putting them down as a COVID death and then no one's allowed to touch the body again and all this, this malarkey, you know? Hmm. I've spoken to so many people though, like it's like since I died and we've lost loved ones and the amount of the amount of stories you're hearing about the way they've been treated by doctors or nurses or was a, a girl I was speaking to her father had died of um lung cancer and because he had coughed it went down as a COVID death oh, and she's oh, like, Not what COVID? We, I've heard you know? so many stories like that. We, I mean, at Corona stories, we're getting loads of um, stories like that. Um, and it's it's one of those things that that story started to come out months ago. And yeah. people were very dismissive of it. And, you know, it was mm-hmm. called a conspiracy theory and all this. The reason that that story was emerging was because it was true, and yeah. that this was actually happening to people. And I mean, that is deeply concerning, obviously, for lots of reasons. Not the least of which is it's quite disrespectful to the person who's died, but also this is how we have been, you know, maintained at this level of fear. Yeah, and definitely. The fact is that a lot of these people. I mean, I, I know because I've heard these stories so many times a lot of people have de- COVID on their death certificate that has gone down in the official statistics and their family members are saying my loved one did not die of COVID. There's no reason for a family to lie about that. There's no, no reason. And the, and the thing is right, see if someone's died and well they've not died of COVID, if that, they've died um of lung cancer, for example, or um, emphysema or something like that, and it goes down as a COVID death. It's dangerous in these times because of COVID, but it's actually all, all very dangerous because it makes the figures of lung cancer death yes. and emphysema death and everything look better than they are. Right. And it's important that we know what's especially avoidable deaths that are caused by smoking or this or that or the next thing. It's important that we know these things. They're recorded for a reason. I know. And it's like the whole, but, well, that whole reasoning's gone out the window. Yeah, we've seen that, haven't we, again, in the stats, that there's been a lot of deaths missing from the record, I mean, causes of death missing from the record yeah. in the last year. And as you say, that's bad if they've been assigned COVID and they weren't. But the other mm-hmm. concern is then we're not monitoring what's happening with those other deaths. Yeah, and definitely. It's, you know, this is basic, basic stuff that we're talking about. Basic um, record keeping and ethics mm-hmm. and medical responsibility for those other causes of death. Um, and also it's vitally important that people can trust the authorities. We need people to trust. You know, the authorities that sign off on these certificates and that organise funerals and that regulate the um, management of the deceased. And if people start to lose all faith in those institutions, then we really are going to be in trouble. 
Um, I think that's fine. I think basically we're, we're going to be hitting times where people are going to start protesting at the, the drop of a hat because what I think what we're going, what, what's, what's happening with society is you have either people who trust or people who don't. Mm-hmm. And the people who don't are getting really pissed off. And then the people who trust are going to, they, they just think that everyone else is crazy. So there's yeah. not, it's like this whole, you know, whole shift. And people are, people are going to start protesting about everything because civil unrest is in the post. Well, this is the thing you've got people on one side who, as you say, and see what's going on as being mm-hmm. totally. Um, legitimate and a, a, a reasonable response to a crisis and the dismissal of the views of those on the other side to that is very very troubling because the uh-huh. fact is that these concerns that you're raising and that I've been raising and the other people who've been labeled as nutters and conspiracy theorists are raising are legitimate concerns as well and they must be addressed and dismissing uh-huh. them is very dangerous and that's what this podcast is about and what you know the Mm -hmm. people that I'm working with generally are trying to do it's like we have concerns they have to be addressed yeah discussion and debate and conversation and I know myself I'm you know the way that you can be shut down for doing what is a totally legitimate concern and yeah and all of us in society have a responsibility to listen to others mm-hmm. and pay attention to what people are saying. Um, I don't know why it's easier just to dismiss people as, as to listen, than to listen to them. Um, but we need to stop doing that. So your, your um, husband, how has he been getting on with losing his mum in these well, it's difficult because he's got a very, very, very stressful um, job, which has been made even more stressful because of COVID. Um, and I don't, you know, I get the feeling that he's not really grieved or grieving properly. No. I think because Anne was in the nursing home, she was in hospital and then she was in the nursing home. And I think because we weren't allowed to see her, as she was failing and as she was going down, he didn't get a chance to speak to her. He didn't get a chance to say the things that he wanted to say. He didn't get a chance to say goodbye. He didn't get a chance to talk about the things he wanted to talk about. Uh, because by the time, obviously, they allowed us to go in and see her, she was in a coma. Um, so I, I feel that there's... I, I mean, I don't know when it's, when it's going to hit him, if it's going to hit him... But I feel like he's just kind of, there's a part of the back of his mind where it's just like, oh no, she's still in the nursing home. Even though he knows that she's not, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because he just didn't get the chance to say those goodbyes or do that thing that you would do with your, an elderly parent who was dying in front of your eyes. And it, it wasn't a sudden death. You know, we knew that Anne was, we knew that she was dying. Um, so I just, I, it's just all been very strange been very strange indeed um, because I think ultimately not being able to see your mum and knowing that your mum's dying there's probably a self-protection mechanism yeah. in the brain that starts telling you you're not going to see them again anyway 
you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just, it's all just very strange. It's, it's been a very strange time. It's a horrible time to lose mm-hmm. a loved one. It really, really is. And very, I mean, really traumatising. And your mother-in-law's death shouldn't have been traumatising because she was a very elderly lady. She's led a, she'd led a full life. She did. You know, and I don't think, she, she didn't did. die in any great pain or anything, did she? So there should yeah. have been much for you to be grateful for and relieved because it's always a relief if you manage to see a loved one off peacefully and you think, well, they weren't, she wasn't in any pain and, you know, mm-hmm. but as it is, all these, all that comfort has been denied you for nothing, you know, for no reason. I know. I, know. I mean, she didn't, she'd been, she wanted to go into a nursing home for ages mm-hmm. because Anne was a very social person. So she really, she wanted mm-hmm. to go into a nursing home mm-hmm. and that kept being denied to her. Um, and I mean, ultimately, she was only allowed to go in after um, I started actually sending videos of the state that she was in and the state that she'd been sent home in for us to look after. Um, and then they finally took it seriously, um, you know, and allowed her a place in a nursing home. But she wasn't allowed to enjoy that. Um, you know, she wasn't allowed to enjoy it because basically, the time by the time she got in. She was so she was so poorly, you know. Her ability to communicate the same and everything had gone. You're making me feel. I just feel so emotional when you're speaking because it's just so sad. It's so sad. I mean, Anne was. She, I mean, Anne was away. Uh, Australia on her own when she was in her 80s. She was a very flamboyant and independent lady who um, loved to talk to people. She loved to hold court. She loved to discuss politics. She was, I've said this before, she was part of the mm-hmm. SNP grassroots movement back in the day. Um, she, you know, she was, she was everything that, um, you know, like a strong woman would, would, you know, would want to be like, you know, she was, she was a very, I mean, she was my mother-in-law, so you can imagine it wasn't always easy, um, but she was an amazing woman, you know, she was an amazing woman, and to go out, what, what we said was, it was a shame, in a way, I mean, obviously we didn't want her to suffer, but the way everything went, Anne went out with a thumper, and she was not a thumper type person, she mm. gave up. Yeah. You know, I fully, I fully believe that had COVID not happened, I think she would have, she would have gone on another couple of years, um, or she might have just gone on the same amount of time, but she would have, mentally, she would have been more switched on because the lack of human contact affected her greatly. Mm-hmm. As it has us all, so for an el- yeah. for elderly people, it's just so much worse. Um, mm-hmm. Mhm. It's killed them, really. You know, because mm-hmm. if your spirit, if you at that age, it's your spirit that's keeping you alive, and if your mm-hmm. spirit goes, you go. Mhm. You know, and that's what they're doing. But that's what they're doing. Everybody. That's what this whole situation is doing. Everyone. People are losing their spirit. Yeah. I feel that very much. I'm. I feel like. I haven't lost mine, but some days mm-hmm. it really is a struggle to hold on to. Yeah. 
and especially you know, as we were saying before, I mean, you're you know you're trying your best to raise concerns and bring up things that you think people are going to care about this because how could they not? And then you get called a conspiracy theorist or a nutter or a psychopath or whatever. And you just think, why am I even bothering? Mm-hmm. I know. I know it's so difficult because you do feel like you're you're fighting a losing battle. But And I, I genuinely, genuinely, 100% in my heart of hearts feel the only way that we are going to start people are going to start waking up that have not already woken up to what's going on or that have woken up but are too scared to speak out. We really, really need people. We need, beyond belief, people in the medical um, establishment and doctors and nurses. We need them to speak out. We need them more than anything to speak out and, and, you know, say what's actually going on and be sensible about things because... Ultimately, if they don't, no one's. This is this is going to continue. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's going to continue, and that is the people that we need to, to speak out. We need them to speak out and say, "Well, actually, there, you know, yeah, there was maybe a, a couple of months where things were grim, but I've seen the same with flu." Um, they need to talk about the, you know, the situation that's happening. Like people like my mother-in-law, who are basically, you know, what's actually happening to these people mentally, physically, because of the lack of um, care, the lack of doctors being able to see them. You know, it's it's just horrible, and I, I do believe that it's going to take the medical establishment to speak out before it gets taken more seriously. Mm. It doesn't feel like that's coming, though. No. But maybe no, I'm trying, I shouldn't be so negative. I'm sure that, unfortunately, I think what's coming down the line now, and I've actually heard, I mean, I speak to a lot of people, as you know, um, through various um, groups that I'm involved in, but... They're starting to come through actually now quite a lot of stories of medics um, or people in management positions, you know, in the NHS and things, and they've been incredibly pro-lockdown and very, you know, gung-ho about continuing to impose these, you know, torturous restrictions on people. And then, as inevitably happens, one of their loved ones, gets cancer or a blood clot which we're hearing a lot of recently and and suddenly they're not so in favor of the restrictions that make medical care very difficult to access Uh or they don't like Uh it when people are being when they're told um you know you you can't get access to that treatment because we're um only dealing with people who've got cancer for example i heard that story today or um you know you're told, oh, well, no, you have to self-isolate for two weeks because your neighbour's pal who came round for coffee took a positive COVID test and has no symptoms. And so you can't go to your father's funeral. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, as time goes on, more and more people are going to experience these restrictions to an extent that they find very uncomfortable. And that's what freedom's for. You know, freedom to leave your house in the morning it's not about me today 
being able to leave my house in the morning. I've got nothing much happening today. I don't need to leave my house particularly. So if I'm kept in my house today, maybe that doesn't matter. But what if it's mm-hmm. the day of my mother's funeral? Yeah. What if Absolutely. my child falls in the school and hits her head and has to go to hospital and I'm not allowed to go to hospital because I've had a positive COVID test and no symptoms? You know, mm-hmm. what, you cannot do this to people. It's not no. okay. It it was okay for a very brief spell last spring. When we didn't know. Well, we didn't even, know how bad it was. Yeah, but even imposing restrictions on people for a brief period of time is acceptable. Imposing restrictions on people for this length of time, for a year, is unforgivable. And it's you're, totally unforgivable. You're right. I mean, we are going... We are going to get to the point where people are just going to flip out. They are. They're, they're, yeah. and do you know what's been happening? I don't know about where you live, right? See, see where I live? There's been huge problems with teenagers, um, like going about in massive groups of people and like wrecking things and mm-hmm. you know, whatnot. It's like, it's like they've gone feral, but it's... it's they've, I, it's crazy, you know, it's but, actually crazy. I've never seen it before. They're angry. And they have yeah. every right to be angry because what has been done mm-hmm. to them this year has been unbearable. And that's what, mm-hmm. you know, people like me have been saying for the whole year, just about. Yeah. And nobody's been listening. Yep. Well, yep. you know. Well, it is. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Do you know what happened to my, my son the first day back at school, right? So I'll give you an example, right? So... First day back at school, proper back at school after after the Easter break, and my son's got his school trousers on, he's got his jacket on, he's got his shirt on, but in the morning he was like, "Mom, I can't find my tie," and I was like, well, "I've got no idea where your tie is," um, and he's like, "I think if I remember right, I think I've maybe left it at PE the last time we had PE," mm-hmm. um, and I was like, "Right," I said, "Well." I said, I'll just need to order you a new one. So what he did was he put a black hoodie on because the black hoodie comes up a bit higher, so it covered the fact that his shirt didn't have a tie. Mm-hmm. And the first thing a teacher said to him when he walked through that bloody door was, why if you not got your school uniform on, you're not allowed to wear hoodies, blah, 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 blah. And started going crazy at him because he didn't have a flipping hoodie on. You need to go to medical and get a... No, in fact, he hadn't worn a shirt as well because he didn't have a tie, he didn't put the shirt on. Mm-hmm. He went, you need to go to medical and get a shirt and tie. So he phoned me. Matthew's really... Like, the reason he doesn't wear a mask is he's got really sensitive skin mm-hmm. and he breaks out really easily. So he phoned me and he was in tears, right? And I was like, that, yeah, indeed you will not be going to medical. I said, you're not getting a shirt that's potentially been washed with something that's going to bring your eczema out. So I messaged the school and I went, he won't be going to medical. He's at school, he's got a black jumper on, he's got school trousers on. He's, you know, he was looking so, Matthew was desperate to get back to school. He loved school. And it totally just put a negative spin on him going back to school and it's just pissed him off and he can't get over it. He actually can't get over the fact that they started going on at him about school uniform when they know fine well how stressed out he's been because I've spoken to the school about it, how anxious he's been, how desperate he's been, how much he's missed school. You know, they know that and then they did this to him. Now this is a boy that's a straight A student who's never in trouble, he never does mm. he's, he's always got on so well and it's really affected him. But to be going on about bloody school uniforms, six, in fact, do you know what? It wasn't because he couldn't find his tie. He put his shirt on and it was too small. It's because he'd grown. He's grown so much. 
And mm-hmm. I had ordered shirts, but they weren't arriving for a couple of days. That was the reason they didn't have his shirt on. But it's just, like, to treat kids like that is disgusting. And then apparently the headmaster was on the tannoy thing in the afternoon going on about being back at school and school uniform. And they weren't allowed to wear hoodies because they were at, they were at high school. They weren't in a ghetto. But if I speak to the kids, like, grow up. Mm. You know, the, the teachers, not all of them, but teachers have been refusing to go to school. Refusing to teach, refusing to do their jobs. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it just makes me so mad. I know. The, it's just like, I don't know what's happened to people. It's, it's just disgusting. It's, just, so... it's, it's vile. Mm-hmm. It's like they've become bullies. It's like people have been given this this piece of paper that allows them to bully people, that allows them to say, where's your mask? Allows them to say, where's your, why have you got a jumper on and not a school jumper? You know, and it's like, come on, people, is they really should be looking at what's important here. Getting kids back to school or wearing a bloody jumper that's approved, you know? Mm. It's it's just stupid. It's just, it's, it's like the whole world's gone mad. Priorities are all just nuts. Mm-hmm. They're totally wrong. They're wrong. It's wrong in what they're doing to the. It's wrong what they're doing to people who have lost what loved ones. It's wrong what they're doing to people that are ill, and it's wrong what they're doing to our teenagers. They're just going to create this generation. They think they're creating a generation of compliant people, but what they're doing is they're creating a generation of angry young people. Well, my children are angry and they're only seven and ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I do reflect a bit on whether I've done that to them. You know, like, mm-hmm. because I'm angry. Yeah. But actually, I don't think it is me. No, I think, you know, it's been a year now. They've had no normal activity. They've, no. they've had, like, we got, um, well, Santa got um, our daughter, like, an experience thing, a really cool experience for her Christmas. Mm-hmm. And um, we have now rescheduled that for the fourth time. I know. So I think we're going to do it next. Isn't it? Well, yeah, the weekend after next. But that'll be the middle of May mm-hmm. for her Christmas present. That's terrible. You know, obviously, you know, everybody's in the same boat and blah, 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 blah. But as far as she's concerned, she's like, right, so I'm a child. I don't spread COVID. I'm not at risk from COVID, which she knows mm-hmm. because she's asked. Yeah. And I don't want them to be scared of COVID. So I've told them that. Yeah, me too. So she's like, well, if I'm not at risk and I'm not at risk, then why can I not have my experience day? Like, what is... It's just a logical question she's asking. Yeah, absolutely. She's not daft, you know, and she just thinks... What we're saying to children is that they don't matter. They don't matter to us at all. That's now a year of their lives. So I've got a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old, so a 10th and a 7th of their lives 
wasted with this nonsense. Mm-hmm. And it's just it is nonsense. your childhood's how you form as a person and we're just denying people that. Yeah. And I yeah. do wonder as well, like even if my children, I've said this before in this podcast, but even if my children are okay at the end of this, they come out and they're totally well balanced and haven't been affected at all. Who are they going to be living with as adults? I know. All the children. Know. Who's going to be their colleagues? Well, exactly. My children are so fortunate, and I am really grateful to be able to say that we have not really had any significant problems during lockdown. Where our incomes, you know, well, it's been affected, but it's pretty okay. We've not had any loved ones in care homes. We have been extremely fortunate. Nothing particularly bad has happened to us, which is why I have so much time to devote to what I do. But still, well, yeah, so my children are very fortunate and I think they've been pretty much as unaffected as they could have been. But there's so many children having horrendous experiences just now. My goodness, Just horrendous. And I think, you know, who are my girls going to be bringing back home with them as a life partner? What are they mm-hmm. been going through this year, which will affect them in ways which are completely without out with their control, and which you can't mm-hmm. even predict? Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, it's it's like when you've got if you have if you, if you get to a childhood trauma, it can manifest later oh, in yeah. PTSD, and so you could be looking at someone who, like like her children's friends, loved ones, going forward, like. It's, suffering through really bad mental health issues, you know, mm-hmm. which which in turn can cause physical health issues because mm-hmm. obviously like mental health and physical health are, are so linked, which is another thing that we just keep going not even considering. Um, so it is, we're, going to, we're creating a generation of adults, future adults who are going to be both mentally and physically less able than the generation that's gone before them and don't even get me started on what the heck the long-term um issues with the vaccine are going to be if they're going to start vaccine vac- vaccinating all the kids well, which terrifies me i know because i mean this study what happened did they suspend the study the astrazeneca one for children. Mm-hmm. There was something happened, I think it's just been. I shouldn't say that when I don't know. Um, but I'm not sure. The, the not, study, I, I, to be honest, Christine, I've been too scared to read about it. I've just been actually, I've been like burying my head in the sand with it because I can't actually cope with it. Like, like I'm so worried about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the study that they had originally designed for the kids, the safety trial, had 300 children in it. Mm-hmm. You're just like, many. Sorry. 300 too many at the same time. Well, exactly. I mean, 300 is a very small number. Um, I mean, the, the biggest or the smallest incidence of adverse reactions you're going to perceive in that study is a 1 in 300. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're going to go and vaccinate millions of children well it doesn't take a genius to work out that you could you could completely miss reactions which will become very common in a group of millions of children and 
these are just basic concepts. Mm-hmm. And and then Honestly, of course you get thrown that anti-vax. You're an anti-vaxer, and it's like, no, I'm actually not. I'm very concerned about the safety of my children, and I've mm-hmm. just said. And- See the thing is, see if they were to turn around and say, right, see if you take your vaccine, if we could get everyone over the age of 40 to take their vaccine, but we won't be vaccinating the under 40s, I would take it. For the simple reason, if I could, if I could take that to stop my kids from taking it, then I would do it in a heartbeat. But we all know that that's not going to happen. If they can get, if they just want to vaccinate everybody regardless. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the way it seems. Um, but we do have plenty of people working on this issue and um, yeah. hopefully the I just want everybody to be safe and I don't want people to put themselves at risk from a vaccine because they're overestimating the risk of COVID and that's my real concern um, at yeah. the moment is that, and this is what my concern has been since I started getting noisy about this in September mm-hmm. last year, is that we absolutely must get the COVID risk into perspective. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not saying that it's not a dangerous disease, not at all. I understand no. that it can be very severe in some people, but we absolutely have to reject the fear messaging and be cold-headed and cold and hard-headed about it. What mm-hmm. is the actual risk? Because that's the only way you can assess your risk from the vaccine properly and there Mm -hmm. is a risk with the vaccine just like there's a risk with anything else but unlike anything else with this vaccine we're dealing with a new vaccine it's a new technology for vaccines and it's new I mean I think it's been used in cancer treatments a bit but it's never been rolled out to this size of um, population before it's still in its trial phase and so we don't know much about this vaccine and we also don't know much about COVID. So unlike flu, you know, you get your flu vaccine every year. Well, we know how safe the flu vaccine is. We also know quite a lot about flu. So you're able yeah. to make an assessment of whether you should get a flu vaccine or not because you can assess those risks. But I'm very, very concerned, openly, publicly so, that we're not getting the COVID risk into perspective at all. Um, yeah. Definitely not. And I just, I feel like all conversation has been... Do you know what I think is weird, Christine? See, at the start of this, right, back in the back in the olden days when, <laughs> when it very first came to the fore, my worry was that governments were going to underplay it <laughs> and were going to lie about... <laughs> Do you know, they're going to lie about the amount of people who died in the opposite way. It's, and that, I find that it's just, it's just so weird. It's a complete opposite thing, you know? It turns yeah. out that concern was misplaced. Absolutely. But I think everyone was the same. We were like, oh, the Chinese are lying. Mm-hmm. You know, there's definitely more people died yet. Oh, like there's more people. There's more people died it than you know. And that was what I thought. I thought that, that I, I didn't. I didn't believe what was going on, but I genuinely thought it was the other way around that we were being. It was. It was going to be that it was a lot worse than they were going to make out, and they were going to play it down so as not to panic everybody. 
before they've actually done it. It's the complete opposite. Yeah. Another another way that we're living in the twilight zone. It really is. You know, I could really never are. have imagined uh, such a weird moment. Do you know anyone personally that's had COVID? Um, I don't know anybody who's had confirmed COVID. Right. So I, I didn't uh, up until quite recently. And then in March, one of my friends developed COVID and went and got tested and it was positive. She's got a wee boy. Uh, she's actually got two wee boys. Uh, well, one of them's a teenager and one of them's a wee boy. And she was really poorly and she was on the phone to me and she's going, I've got COVID. And she was like freaking out. She's going, what if I die? Our wee boy's disabled. Mm-hmm. And she's going, what if I die? What's going to happen with my wee boy? And I was like, look, stop panicking. And she feels the same way. She actually feels the same way as me about COVID. Like she's, we're quite similar in our thought process. But she started freaking out. And I was like, look, you need to calm down mm-hmm. and you need to take your vitamins. I, had, I took her up some... Um, quercetin and some, you know, make sure she has loads of vitamin C and mm-hmm. um, echinacea and, you know, like all of these mm-hmm. kind of things. Uh, what she would do for a cold as well. Um, so she was really poorly. She was in her bed for about, oh, she was in her bed for a full week anyway, completely floored. And then she started feeling a wee bit better, kind of by week two. She's still having days where she's a wee bit tired, but I've had the flu and that happens after the flu as well. Mm-hmm. Now the same day that she was diagnosed with COVID, one of my other friends, who's exactly the same age as her, took the AstraZeneca jab. I want to say it was, mm-hmm. and within a few hours, she had cramps in her legs. Her hands, where she says it was, it was like my hands were going into claws, like muscle spasms. She phoned the hospital or the helpline. They told her to take paracetamol and ibuprofen which her husband gave her. She then started slurring her speech and was she was she was very, very frightened as you can imagine. And again she phoned NHS twenty four at this point and they said like she she must have a temperature, you need to get a temperature down. She had terrible sickness and diarrhea. Oh um then the following day she developed a cough and her doctor refused to come and see her and said that it was probably COVID. And she's like that. I've, I, she'd had a COVID test before the JAG. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, but it had been negative. She asked it to go and get another one. She got another test that was negative. Um, and basically her doctor, like she, this went on for a week. She ended up on steroids. She ended up with an inhaler. Um, she was she was just really, really ill. Um, and she was far, far more ill than my friend who had COVID. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it lasted longer. She's okay now, thankfully. Um, I don't know how she feels about getting her second shot. Um, she's got elderly parents, and that was why she got the jag in the, in the first place. But, yeah, so she was but she was really bad. Um, but my friend who had COVID was really bad, but then got better. Then her husband got it. He was bad for a few days, got better, and the kids were fine. Both of the kids, one of them 15 and one of them... 11 mm-hmm. you know so it is it's like you say we need to look at what, what actually is this 
you know, virus and how bad is it and mm-hmm. does it warrant exercise because it doesn't. Just like with every other vaccine, you need to mm-hmm. know what the risk of the virus that you're vaccinating against is mm-hmm. so that you can assess whether the risk of the vaccine is because of the risk of the virus. And, you know, mm-hmm. let's use the language of the detractors on both sides. If you're mm-hmm. anti-vax, generally, then you presumably have calculated that you think the risk of the vaccine is bigger than the risk of the virus. And if you're pro-vax, generally, then you have assumed that the risk of the viruses are bigger than the risk of the vaccines. Mm-hmm. But what I think, I think that probably on both sides, there's an assumption made. People start from a biased point of view. And yes. they make, and that's how you become either a pro-vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer. Mm-hmm. But with this vaccine, this is different. COVID is different and the vaccine mm-hmm. is different. And mm-hmm. you have to make an informed risk assessment. And I just don't think that people are able to make that risk assessment because, for example, the NHS leaflet I have sitting on my desk right now about this vaccine says COVID rates remain high. Well, <laughs> the ONS, <laughs> the Office for National Statistics prevalence survey shows that one in 640 people is infected with COVID to, you know, as of last week. That is mm-hmm. not high prevalence. And, you know, in anybody's book, it's just not. And this is the problem. People just are not well informed. You could argue they're not well informed on both sides. Mm-hmm. I would not disagree. But Do you not I, think as well we need to, to know what the prevalence is in community rather than what community and hospital bunch together? We just yes. need to know what it is in community. Yes, because we know. I mean, all there's been really good research that's come out recently that a lot of infections came from the hospitals. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's just just a dearth of information. That's the problem. And it's Mm -hmm. been left to people like me and people like a lot of the, well, not so much me, there's a lot of, um, you know, well-respected, or they should be well-respected scientists trying to do that analysis. And they're doing that out of the goodness of their hearts because they genuinely Mm -hmm. want people to be informed. And... It's just been incredibly difficult to get that message out and there's yeah. the danger that then people aren't properly informed and they can't make informed decisions and mm-hmm. that's all I want. I just want people to be informed. Yeah, that's- see, I was speaking to a doctor last week and what she was saying was one of the reasons that uh, poor Sally was so... But not just for Sally, like other hospitals. It's just that for Sally's my local hospital. But other but hospitals were so bad was because basically people hadn't been able to access healthcare for a year. So you had a lot of people who could have been treated at home with various different illnesses had got so bad that, and again, their GPs were still refusing to see them. And so they, they were ended up in hospital. Those immune systems were low. They were already very frail. And lo and behold, when they were in the hospital, they were catching COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's so many of the COVID cases and deaths and everything was hospital acquired. We know that. Yeah. That's not yeah. A, um... But it's crazy that people don't think about that. You know, like, I know that you do because obviously you do all your numbers and stuff. 
Um, but it's just crazy that, again, that that's not something that the governments have tried to not scare people. Without, you know, they've just, so all these things have been used just to scare people. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different ways they could have presented information to make people realise that you know exactly what's going on so that like you say they can then make that informed risk about vaccines and mm-hmm. this that and the next thing we've just not been able to do that though because of all the misinformation mm-hmm. and panicking all the panicking yeah because yeah. people have like been pan- I mean I was panicking at the start as well mm-hmm. like most people you know yeah I was very panicky Mm-hmm. But um, panicking is never a helpful strategy for anything. Um, and I think I've learned my lesson now. I will not panic again about a news story like this, partly because I now don't really engage with the news. So I don't. Yeah, me neither. I, I think that's becoming increasingly common. Um, I'm pretty busy. I get a lot of stuff sent to me. From people all COVID related things or things surround you know issues surrounding COVID but I now I don't read any news websites except the stuff that people send me I don't um I don't turn on the news I'm barely even watching Netflix or Amazon or anything now either I've kind of disengaged I can't have yeah. the radio on because can't do with the get, yeah last week my husband was off work and he likes the radio still, so we listened to Original 106. And I did, um, there was a tweet went out about this from the Informed Scotland Twitter account, but um, the presenter on the radio, she normally has a co-presenter, and, and she didn't have him that morning. And she said, I just want to let you all know that Craig is off this morning because he had his vaccine yesterday and he's not feeling too good today. She said, nothing to worry about, he'll be back next week. Um, it's all for the greater good, she said. And so, and I just thought, I cannot, and said to him, please don't turn the radio on, but he turned it on. And um, I said to him, this is why I don't want to listen to the radio, because that is so irresponsible, what she's just done. If he is unable to come to work the next morning after his vaccine, that is an adverse reaction. That is not nothing to worry about now it's probably not anything to worry about but that's not the same as nothing to worry about and what she should have been what she should have done there is said he's just had his vaccine he's having an adverse reaction so he can't come to work today if you have an adverse reaction after your vaccine you should report it through the yellow card scheme yeah it's not this is not a minor matter. This is an experimental vaccine because it's not finished its trial phase yet. It doesn't finish till 2023. These are just facts that I'm saying. We don't know the long-term effects of it. And so it is critically important that if people have any sort of adverse reaction, they report it. You don't tell people on a local radio station where lots of people are listening, this is nothing to worry about and it's all for the greater good. The thing is, like by saying it's nothing to worry about, someone else might take that vaccine and be a bit poorly, and they go, "It's nothing to worry about." But it is actually, in the, the, like they've missed signs of a blood clot or mm-hmm. this or that, yeah, or the exactly. next thing. 
you know, ever since has been really poorly after her second one. Um, she has COPD. It was it was the Pfizer one she's had, so she's not taking any of her side effects seriously. And I'm like, you need to, you know, these need to be taken seriously. You're really, really poorly, and it's it's within four weeks of you getting the mm-hmm. vaccine, so you need to report it. Regardless of whether it, it turns out that that's what it is or not, you have to report that because if you were had COVID and you were ill, you would be reporting that. But the other thing is, even a minor reaction, even a minor and totally safe, or not safe, but a, a reaction yeah. that's not a concern for one person, that can tell, that can inform researchers about what the vaccine is actually doing, what what mechanism or what, yeah, like how it's actually working yeah. in the, in and with the immune system, with the physiology, and they can then identify that that reaction, which could be totally harmless in you or me, or long term harmless, could do another person a lot of damage. And this whole See, the thing is, sorry, you'll be able to tell me this because you're the science one. So, say for example, someone takes right. So, after the vaccine, I have had a really like I've not. I'm just you know pretending. Like my Adam went, you know, it was really swollen, and I had a headache. Right. So, seeing a few years time, you might may get a bunch of people who are suffering from migraines, for example. Say for example, there's a bunch of fifty people have had a sore arm with a vaccine, and then a few years time they develop migraines. You know, if stuff, if everything's recorded, they would maybe be able to say, right, well, actually, these can cause migraines in the future. Mm-hmm. So they would know that, so that they can then look at that vaccine and maybe change something in it for the future. Mm-hmm. But no, but I don't think people have been encouraged to actually um, report things. No. Well, I mean, even you know? the leaflet that I'm speaking about is on my desk right now. It says, you know, you might suffer these side effects. And if you suspect that you're suffering from a side effect, then you should report it to the yellow card reporting team. It's like, that is not strongly enough worded. They should be telling yeah. people, if you have any sort of reaction, we want to know what it is. You must report it through the yellow card scheme. Uh, or even report it to, uh, there should be like a vaccine body specifically for yeah. this one. And then you phone up, you report it and they record it on the yellow card scheme. Because mm-hmm. saying, even the word report it on the yellow card scheme, it sounds quite complicated. Well, I think it is quite complicated. Yes, yeah. Listen, Christine, I'm going to need yes. to go because that's um, the one she's coming out now. Well, well it's been so, lovely to speak to you. It's always lovely to speak to you. And um Thank you so much for giving us your time. Really sorry for the loss of your mother-in-law in these circumstances. And um, thank you very much for sharing your experience with us again. You're very welcome. And perhaps we can get a big night, one night with lots of people where we can maybe do a, have a woman, everyone in the same room and having wine and talking and things. That would be great. <laughs> Meet people face to face would be nice. That would be fantastic. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Right. Well, listen. Thanks for all the thanks to you and for the, all the work that you're doing still, and thanks to everyone else that's doing all the work on Inform Scotland and what. Um, the truth is, I really have to quote Mulder and Scully. <laughs> it is out there.
See you later, Christine. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you found it interesting and that you'll join us again soon.